What's up, Charleston? This is the Healthy Charleston Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Eve Gigi, where we talk all things health-related. We're going to talk about all sorts of health information, as well as, hopefully, clear up all sorts of terrible health misinformation. What's up, everybody? This is Eve with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest host. Uh, This is Nate Jones, um, guest host and for the day. We needed a little science in our uh, our podcast today, so Nate's bringing the science. Today, we've got Dr. Russell, and he is all about regenerative medicine. We're going to talk stem cells. We're going to talk PRP. We're going to talk words I haven't even heard before. We're really, really good to get into some really, really good stuff. So without further ado, here is Dr. Russ. What's up, everybody? We are live here with Russ. We're about to get into some very, very interesting topics that I have been wanting to get into, honestly, since I started the podcast, and that is the world of regenerative medicine, which I really think is going to be a huge piece of the future in the rehab world, the orthopedic world, as well as a lot of other areas that we hear about too. So what's up, Russ? How are you? Hey, I'm great. I'm uh, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no, we're pumped. Um, First things first, I'd love to just know a little bit about your background, how you've ended up um, here now with starting a a brand new clinic, um, very regenerative medicine focused. How'd you even, where'd you start then how'd you get to where you are now? Yeah, so uh, I'm a physician. My name is Dr. Russell Daniel, and uh, I've been in pain management the last couple of decades. And uh, I myself had tennis elbow, and it drove me crazy. And it changed my life, really. I gave up tennis. I gave up golf. I went through everything. I went through physical therapy and, and ultrasound and injections, and I did everything you can do. And then I finally had surgery, and nothing helped. And finally, I did uh, PRP, and it changed everything, and it made me better. It's the only thing that worked. So that got me interested. That's been a couple of decades ago. And then in the early 2000s, when I started seeing some information about the use of bone marrow cells to treat arthritis and spine disease, it got my attention because I knew it had worked for me. And so over the last decade, for sure, I've had a lot of interest in that and spent a lot of time learning about this, go to a lot of seminars, and now I run a practice here in Charleston that is nothing but regenerative medicine. And in fact, we've got a consultant, uh, Dr. Diego Garcia, who's a PhD MD, who works with us trying to help us understand where we are in terms of research and what's happening and, and what we can offer our patients. So it's exciting stuff. It's yeah. the future of medicine for sure. Absolutely. I mean... It's so new, so I really would love to define for a lot of people, just call it the lay person who hears regenerative medicine, and now it's like you hear about it, unfortunately, in a lot of areas that I don't think is true what we would call regenerative medicine, right? A lot of people can slap that tag onto it, and it isn't necessarily what you are defining. So I'd love for you, if you don't mind, kind of defining what that is and like as far as modalities go and and things like that, you know? Yeah, well, what regenerative medicine is, is it's uh, using your body's own cells to regenerate tissues. That's it in a nutshell. 
and it can be stem cell, but there's a lot of other things too, like uh, IRAP and alpha-2 macroglobulin and PRP. So there's a lot of modalities, but stem cell gets most of the press because it's got the most to offer. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, I, mean, I think it was in the 2000s, maybe probably a little later than that, and there was this huge deal with stem cells and like where it was sourced and if they were even going to legalize it, you know, and now we're obviously much further along in that. And what I have the biggest question is, because the biggest pushback I've seen from orthopedic doctors is that we just really don't understand what needs to be done like the dosage and what needs to happen right afterwards, right? And like, I feel like that though, it's starting to become more and more clear because you're seeing it happen a lot more often. Like you said, the yeah. research seems to be seems to be coming along in that yeah, area. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because it, it's true. There's, there's pushback from a lot of doctors, quite frankly. In fact, on our website, we have a blog section and one of our most recent posts is, why did my doctor tell me not to do regenerative medicine? And it's, you know, it simply goes through what some of the doctors are thinking. And, and there's basically two reasons why doctors would tell people not to do it. And the one reason is that as exciting a field as this is, and I will tell you, it's the most exciting thing I've seen in 25 years of medicine for sure. But, but there's that aspect and then there's the other aspect, which is that there's a group of players out there that maybe doesn't have the patient's best interest in mind, maybe don't have the training that they should have, maybe just don't know a lot about it, but are great salespeople. And mm -hmm. so oftentimes we find family doctors are put off by that, you know, but they don't know about some of the exciting stuff. Like they don't know Philippe Pernigo has done a study where he compared use of stem cell to total knee replacement and 70% of patients preferred the stem cell. And these patients were followed for over a decade. I mean, it's incredible. They don't know that Mayo Institute is doing the same procedures we do using bone marrow cells and has published a randomized controlled study that compared placebo, because a lot of people are saying, well, it's just placebo effect, and they're finding that no, it's not placebo effect. These people are getting pain relief. They're getting better. They don't know that there was a study published in uh, stem cell and translational medicine, which showed that you're actually getting growth of cartilage, or that Freddie Fu at University of Pittsburgh and Jason Dragu at at Stanford have actually shown that we do in fact have new cartilage cells after these kind of treatments. So there's there's really some incredible stuff and as far as why orthopedic surgeons maybe aren't on the bandwagon as much as you would think they should be, well the truth is that a lot of the research I just mentioned comes from orthopedic surgeons. I mean Jason Dragu is an orthopedic surgeon, Philippe Hernigo is an orth orthopedic surgeon. Uh, Freddie Fu at University of Pittsburgh, who was the first one to show we could make cartilage. We've always been taught once you lose cartilage, it's gone forever. Right. Well, he's showed us that's not true. He's an orthopedic surgeon. So it's kind of a mixed bag, you know. The orthopedic surgeons are really big in this industry and in the research, but maybe on the local level, they just aren't quite aware of it. Well, uh, but they sorry. will be. So Nate Jones here real quick, I'm just guest hosting today. Um, I want to throw out there too, like, I was looking through the research on the stem cell therapy and all that kind of stuff, and like, there, I mean, there's a really good uh, systematic review from last year that was published, um, and like, you know, a lot of it is case studies. There's some, there are some really high um, quality studies, randomized controlled trials and all that, but if you look at that compared to really popular orthopedic procedures that we see a million of, the, of these kind of things, like, um, you know, uh, 
partial meniscectomies and things like that. There's like two studies on partial meniscectomies in the last, and, and they weren't even done until like 2014, 2015. We've been doing those for decades with really no evidence besides a, I think this will work kind of thing. And those studies showed like not great results of it. You know, like they, it was pretty much a coin flip whether or not it would work. They're not better than placebo. Um, but then you look at, like there's actually a pretty decent body of literature supporting a lot of the things that you guys do. Um, there's really almost no risk of harm that I could find. And it seems like generally it does really well, like you were saying. And so if we're, if we're trying to be evidence-based, like probably shouldn't really be getting a lot of pushback from necessarily people that perform these surgeries that are not that evidence-based necessarily. And like, there's always personal experience and clinical experience and being able to like, you know, have, have that experience and saying like, this has worked for me, this has worked for patients in the past. But if we're looking at the body of research, I would say it's better, like what you do is better supported than a lot of things we see that are the traditional treatments at this point, um, in my opinion. But yeah. So, um, so to address that, uh, mm -hmm. when people get to the point where they have degenerative problems, specifically mm -hmm. in the knee, the literature on doing any surgery other than total knee replacement mm -hmm. is pretty poor yeah and and I don't mean that there's no literature I mean that the results are pretty poor yeah. so somebody going up and quote-unquote cleaning up your knee with a knee arthroscopy there's just not a lot of data to suggest that that's going to do you any favors mm -hmm. as far as meniscectomy is concerned I, I mean it's common sense that when you take away the meniscus you're really changing weight-bearing characteristics for the person you do that in now granted there are sometimes where you just can't help it. I mean, somebody gets a locked knee, you don't have a whole lot of choice. But if you had a way to regenerate it, mm -hmm. you certainly would think you're a lot better off than if you took it out. And right now we're trying to figure out, are, are we really able to do that? There certainly are studies published which show that you can regrow meniscus. And in terms of uh, total knee replacement itself, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm doing this because I see what that turns out to be. And what it turns out to be is one out of four to one out of three people who have it are very unhappy mm -hmm. and they have chronic pain. So if there's a way around that, we should try it. Yeah. yeah. So what, what kind of stuff do you treat? So you're talking about uh, knees mostly here. Like what other things do you treat with? We treat arthritis in general. So okay. knee and hip arthritis for okay. sure, shoulder arthritis. Uh, we treat the spine, okay. and we've had some great success with that. You know, the way we treat spine disease now in the United States, in fact, let me just say this. I think as a pain management physician for the past couple of decades, the one area that I see where we really, really need to change how we treat the patients is spinal disease. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's we just do not do justice to our patients. I mean, they get these surgeries, and there's a large number of them that don't do well. And I'm not criticizing the spine surgeons. I'm just saying that state-of-the-art for spine surgery is pretty poor right now. Mm -hmm. And that's why Blue Cross quit paying for fusions in North Carolina not so long ago because the data was so pathetic. So, you know, it's we have to find a better way. And you get somebody that's got maybe a congenital abnormality in their discs and they have disc disease at a young age, we need a better way to treat these people. And this looks like it might be that way. Now, as I say that, there's a lot of stuff ongoing right now. Mm -hmm. So there are clinical trials right now with both allergenic and autologous products. And it'll be exciting to see what they show. But certainly when it comes to posterior column disease, facet disease, 
I think we're already at the point where we know that works. So where do you um, kind of switch in talks a bit? Like where do you, so you said you get bone marrow derived stem cells. Is that usually mainly what you guys do? Or? Yeah, that's all we do. Okay. Um, you know, okay. we, there's, there's, there's been a lot of concern about the allergenic products not really being stem cells, mm -hmm. not viable stem cells. Okay. So everybody knows when you take cord blood, there are stem cells in that, mm -hmm. in that sample. The problem is that when you take it and you process it and then you freeze it and then you thaw it out, that those cells are not viable. Okay. So the, in the Journal of Sports Medicine last year, and I believe it was April or May, there was an article published written by Dr. Panera, who was from Cal Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And essentially his group went to several of these companies that sell allergenic cells, so donated cells. Mm -hmm. And they said, we want to test your product. Well, there were seven major companies they approached, and only three of the companies were willing to give samples. That'll tell you something yeah, right probably. there. But, um, but of those three that gave samples, how many of you think had living stem cells in them? None. Yeah. <laughs> None. 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 Yeah. Oh, wow. Now, there's also it's anybody definitive. that listens to podcasts knows about Wondery. So, Wondery puts a, a bunch of great podcasts out there. Well, one of the recent ones is a podcast called Bad Batch. Mm -hmm. And it recounts the story of the company Livion, which sells these allergenic cells, um, selling cells to different physicians in the Midwest who then went on to cause infections in 33 patients who had to be wow. hospitalized and, and put in ICU. So you've got that issue as well. Now, as fate would have it, when, when the uh, CDC came and investigated that particular situation, one of the doctors had actually injected himself because he had arthritis and he wanted to try it on himself before he did. He got a terrible infection, but part of the sample of of cells that he had bought. He had bought three or four samples. Mm -hmm. Well, one of those samples was still in the freezer. So they were able to test that. Okay. How many stem cells do you think they found in that? Yeah. None. So, you know, you, you can get infection and about the only thing you can't get is living cells. I mean, maybe, yeah. you know, so certainly there are growth factors in allergenic products. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying all of the companies have no stem cells. I'm saying that there's certainly some concern that patients aren't getting what they're paying for when okay. they do that. So, so Mayo Clinic has shown you get stem cells with bone marrow derived samples all the time. Okay. So what's the, actually, can we back up just for a second? Can you describe what stem cells are really quick for anybody listening that doesn't know? Sure, sure. So it, it's, it's really easy. If you just think about um, the idea that when we're born, mm -hmm. we all come from a single cell. And that cell then goes on to turn into liver, brain, kidney, anything, muscle. And so as we're developing in the womb, we go from one cell to two to four to eight to 16, et cetera, et cetera. And at some point as the embryo is developing, those cells start to specialize and they go down a path that they can't ever come back from. And those cells make a decision and say, well, I'm going to be a nerve cell or I'm going to be a blood cell, or I'm going to be a muscle cell. And they can't ever go a different direction, except for the fact that some of those cells never decide. And so they find a place to hide in your body, and they just lay around, and those are what we call stem cells. So they are cells from which all other cells stem or derive from. And 
it's exciting stuff. Now, there are different types of stem cells, mm -hmm. but mostly what you hear about in the type of work we do are what are called mesenchymal stem cells. And those cells can turn into bone, cartilage, tendon, ligament. So they have the ability to repair those tissues. And okay. It's exciting stuff. So when you so what's the process for getting these out of a patient then? So you do a bone marrow? Right. Everybody thinks it's a terrible thing, but it's not terrible yeah. at all. There's really okay. not much to it. You numb up a little spot on the hip. You put mm -hmm. a small needle into it. It takes about six or eight minutes. You mm -hmm. draw out some some blood. Sometimes patients feel a cramp in their hip when we do it. But as far as pain, not much at all. And then we may draw out 150 cc's or so, but we process that over the course of maybe 45 minutes and it gets down to a sample that's more manageable, maybe eight to 10 cc's of stem cells. And then along with that, we'll include PRP. Mm -hmm. So and you put that back wherever we're trying to treat. Gotcha. So a patient would come in, you kind of draw it out of like their, their pelvis basically, and then they just hang out for 45 minutes after that and then you put it right back in or is it? We do. Okay. We do. The FDA has made it clear yeah. you have to put it in that day. Okay. So you can't, in other countries, you're allowed to, to actually culture the cells mm -hmm. to try and grow them. Okay. Can't do that in the United States. Why is that? You'll have to ask somebody yeah. who's okay. got a higher something, job title than me. Yeah. <laughs> but we can't. Yeah, so, and then the idea is that you inject it into your knee, and if there's cartilage damage, um, the stem cells can become new cartilage, or like kind of whatever tissues you're looking for, or if it's tendinopathy, they can, like that degenerative process, and then in tendinopathy, they can like regrow some of that, and is that... Right, so, okay. so we're at the point where we're learning a lot about how this works. Mm -hmm. So we used to think that stem cells actually just became whatever it is that you needed. Mm -hmm. And the current thinking is that that's not really what happens. What happens is that the cells that you put in have the ability to self-replicate, so they create new cells. Okay. And it's actually the new cells that then go on to create other tissues. And on top of that, the stem cells have the ability to signal other cells in your body to come to the area and try and help solve the problem. Okay. So it, the potential is long-lasting effects. So I, I was going to ask this way later on, but so is that why, like, it, would this only really be effective in older adults, or is this something you'd use as a preventative measure? To, so when, when you age, you don't have as many stem cells. That's um, true. And so it might be more effective with them, or would you, would you say this is something that would even be effective earlier on? Like, you're, you're putting enough stem cells in that would still have, like, kind of an effect beyond just, like, right. normal regenerative. Right, so, okay. so when we talk about types of stem cells... Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's pretty well um, um, believed throughout the research community that embryonic stem cells are probably the best in the world that we mm -hmm. could use, but we can't use that. Yeah. So it's against the law in the United States. You know, you can in other countries again, mm -hmm. but you can't here. So since we can't use that, you're kind of left trying to use some other option. And we do believe that stem cells in adults maybe are not as effective as you get older, mm -hmm. but you can overcome that by using higher volumes of stem cells mm -hmm. and to get the effect that you're looking for. On top of that, you know, we get millions of cells when we do this. We don't really know how many cells are required. What we do know is that what we do works. So, yeah. and, and again, that was attested to by Mayo Clinic recently. They published a paper about that. So, okay. 
so patients are getting pain relief from these procedures mm-hmm. and that's really what they're looking for yeah like better quality of life people and, ask me all the time does this grow cartilage well what I tell them is we know it can grow cartilage as far as does it grow cartilage we have case reports of cases mm-hmm. where we shown it grows cartilage but we don't know that that's happening in every patient yeah. what we do know is that more patients than don't get pain relief through some mechanism yeah and that's kind of that goes along with a lot of what we do in physical therapy too is like you know we're not changing what you look like on an MRI necessarily um, we're just you know do you get pain relief from this for some reason yeah at some like most people do and so that's kind of the the benefit there you don't have to change the the anatomy all the time to change symptoms for um, sure and most of the time even you probably don't have to um, yeah so I wanted to ask to see so you mentioned PRP earlier um, can you tell us a little bit about what that is and Sure. PRP is just a portion of your blood that contains platelets, but it's not really the platelets that you're looking for. You're looking for the other growth factors and cytokines that are also in that segment of blood. Mm-hmm. And it's useful for a lot of things. I mean, as I said, it, it fixed my tennis elbow when mm-hmm. nothing else would. We use it for plantar fasciitis, for chronic tendonitis. Um, it's being used nowadays for skin rejuvenation in women, mm-hmm. uh, primarily and for hair growth mm-hmm. in men. Um, and it's, uh, it's being used for you know, a variety of purposes for uh, urinary incontinence in women. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so there are, there are a lot of uses for it. The mm-hmm. thing about PRP that we believe now, it, it, it originally became useful in oral surgery and dentistry. Mm-hmm. That was the first place it was used in the 90s. And subsequent to that, it started finding uh, applications in other specialties, orthopedic surgery for sure. But we think that what happens with PRP is that these cytokines signal other cells to come to the area. So that, so they're trying to get your, your own stem cells to come fix a problem. And we didn't know this 20 years ago, but now we know that throughout your body, you've got lots and lots and lots of stem cells mm-hmm. that for the most part are what we call parasites. They lay on blood vessels around your body and they just sit dormant and don't do anything. Mm-hmm. And these cells in PRP, these, these growth factors in PRP, might can force them into action. Okay, so the PRP is kind of like a signaling like, hey, come, come work. So you use that in conjunction with injected stem cells and that might even have like a stronger... We, we use it to supplement for sure. Okay. So if we have a patient that we did a stem cell treatment and maybe they get to a point where their, their effect is not quite as good, we mm-hmm. use PRP for sure. Okay, cool. Um, so I was looking through your uh, pamphlet too that you left us and I saw alpha-2 macroglobulin. Um, did a little bit of looking up on it, but it's, it's outside of my... Yeah. Um, so what is that? So A2M is a protein in your blood. Everybody's mm-hmm. got it and uh, it's like PRP. Everybody has this in their bloodstream. A2M is a very heavy protein. It's one of the highest molecular weights. And so you get it a little bit of a different way, but you you get it through centrifugation and then a filtering process. And then maybe again, you take 200 cc's of blood from a patient, you get 10 cc's of A2M. And we believe that has the ability to capture the enzymes that are destroying your joints. And so it essentially arrests the arthritis process. It stops it. Okay. And in, the, in that process, it gives you pain relief. The mechanism of pain relief, we're not so sure about. We don't know why that happens, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and it looked like when I was looking it up, it's like it basically stops enzymes that destroy proteins from destroying those proteins. It and does. So it like can arrest the... It captures the enzymes yeah. and then you excrete them in your urine. Mm -hmm. this, is a, this is a tetra molecule that's kind of like a dump truck and it captures the, the enzyme, puts it in the truck, and then the truck drives yeah. away. Yeah, and it can basically arrest, like it can stop like degenerative cartilage processes. And, no question about yeah. it. We don't know how long it works. Yeah. Most people think maybe a year or so and you'd have to do it again, but... Mm -hmm. Really, we don't know right now. Okay. When do you use that versus like stem cells or PRP? Or? So in cases where people have really bad problems, mm -hmm. severe arthritis, uh, you know, sometimes we tell people they're just not good candidates for this. And uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, we don't want to do that. Like people come to me for hip problems and they sometimes have already lost their range of motion. Mm -hmm. They're not going to get that back. And so at that point, we feel like, well, look, we might can give you pain relief, but as far as motion, you're not going to get that. And so hip surgery being what it is, which for the most part is a pretty good surgery that people get relief relatively quickly and not a whole lot of problems long term, a lot of times we'll just send them in that direction. But if a patient does want to do regenerative treatments and, and they do have pretty severe arthritis, we think that the stem cells that we put in have to have the right environment in order to do their job. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, if we believe that the environment is pretty bad, we use A2M before a stem cell treatment. Okay. And then in other cases, if, for example, an elderly person who for whatever reason, maybe because of osteoporosis, you didn't want to take cells from them, we just use A2M to try and find a way to give them pain relief. Okay. And, and it works pretty well. And then last one that I just kind of saw in the pamphlet was the exosomes. Um, so that was a little more uh, kind of getting into that. I didn't quite understand fully what was going on. So the exosomes are vesicles on the outside of cells that regulate inflammation. Is that? They're just messengers is messenger, what they okay. are. They're, right. they're, they're, they're kind of like the growth factors in the cytokines. They, they try to go from one cell to another to signal to them what to do. Okay. So the exciting thing about exosomes is it looks like um, we'll have a lot of allergenic products mm -hmm. where you can purchase a product that has exosomes mm -hmm. and just simply inject it into a patient and get pretty good results. Now, right at the moment, you know, it's, that's something that's kind of in the growing stages. But mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's... There's plenty of cases where this stuff has been used, mm -hmm. but in terms of being used real regularly, not so much right at the moment, but it's, to, it's part of what's coming down the pipeline. Okay, and that would be more used like kind of the A2M, kind of in that, like along the, those lines of like decreasing inflammation, or is that a different, well, would you put that in a different spot? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, for example, um, we saw a patient presented at a at a uh, one of our recent conferences that suffered a pretty severe third degree burn on the face, mm -hmm. and they were devastated and thought they were going to have terrible scarring, etc. And they used exosomes sprayed on the wound over the course of three weeks, and the patient essentially has almost no scar. Mm -hmm. So there, cool. there's yeah, it is. I mean, so so there's lots of uses like that, but. You know, the, the main thing about that is just that you're, you're going to have a product that, that, that you could just purchase and inject, which is everybody wants that. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. If, you, if somebody came to you and they said, hey, you know, either I can 
inject this product from this vial or I can take it out of your hip. Nobody wants it taken out of their hip. But right now, the truth is that that's the best thing we have by far. And the other products just are one, not proven. Two, there's a lot of question about the manufacturers and the FDA actually has given these guys a three-year timeline to come up with studies showing that they're producing what they say they're producing. That timeline ends one year from right now. So last okay. month, it's 11 months from now. Yeah. And when that happens, I'm sure that industry is going to be changed enormously. So mm-hmm. maybe down the road, we will have allergenic products that you can just purchase and inject. But right now, every major institution that's doing the stuff that we're doing is using autologous products that come from the hip of the patient. And there's a reason for that because, you know, they're, they're, they're the best that we have right now. But as far as products like exosomes... I think there will come a time when when we will have uh, the industry that produces the allergenic products will will have enough quality control measures to produce these kind of things that we can use for tennis elbow and plantar fasciitis and et cetera. And mm. it's you know could be helpful down the road. Yeah. Um, so kind of switching gears a bit, what would your ideal patient be like? Well, our typical patient right now is about 73 years old and has knee arthritis. That's our, that's who we see more than anybody else. And the second most common is people with spine disease, back problems, chronic, either with or without surgery, mm-hmm. and uh, doesn't want more surgery. Um, so we see a lot of patients that have rotator cuff problems. Uh, that's something that regenerative medicine clearly can help, as depending on what the issue is. So if you've got a tear in your rotator cuff, but it's not full thickness, no question that you can make it better. Mm -hmm. There are studies that show if you tear your ACL, as long as you still have uh, part of the strands intact, it's partial tear, Mm -hmm. it can regrow with regenerative medicine. So um, we, you know, we treat patients that have meniscus injuries, not infrequently, we got one tomorrow actually, but... Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to ACL tears, we just don't see a lot of that right now. But mm-hmm. so. I think that'll change. Um, I don't know how like much you've looked at like ACL stuff in physical therapy literature, but it's really like like we know they can regenerate on their own, and um, like five year outcomes between getting surgery and not getting surgery for your average person are not different. Um, and like it doesn't even necessarily have to regenerate sometimes to have like normal function. But like we, I mean, there are lots and lots of studies. Even as early the earliest I could find was. Uh, in 2009 study showing that like ACLs can regenerate um, and for, for whatever reason like I was taught in school they don't you know like you tear an ACL it's gone um, but it, it seems like yeah if we'd rather regrow them right you don't want to have to cut parts off and, like cut part of your tendon off or cut your hamstring for tendon sure. off and for sure. um, drill holes through the bone and all that kind of stuff so uh, if you can yeah. make it regrow it seems like hopefully yeah, but, that'll start catching on a little bit more yeah but one of the things people need to understand that if you're trying to treat these problems, if you're trying to treat a, a partially torn ACL or a partially torn meniscus, you not only need the right product, you need something that really has stem cells, but you need somebody who's capable of directing the injection where that problem is. Mm-hmm. So somebody who's trained in fluoros- fluoroscopic guidance or ultrasound guidance and knows knee anatomy and spine anatomy and that kind of stuff, you, you don't need somebody who's just going to take a needle and stick it in your knee and say, hey, there you go. Because uh, there's a lot of reason to believe that you need to get these products as close as you can, mm-hmm. especially in something like an ACL tear, you know. I mean, you just have to do that. 
Um, that said, there's some, there's some interesting studies that actually show that these cells will make their way to the injured tissues. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of exciting both ways, but um, around the world, I think the people who get the best outcomes are using image guidance to direct the products exactly where they want them to go, Okay. which is what we do, of course. Yeah. Um, so, and I kind of touched on it earlier, would this be like a preventative measure kind of thing? Like, I don't know if there's any, I couldn't find any literature on it necessarily, but I didn't really dig through it that deep. Um, but th would this be something like if you have an elite athlete and we know that, you know, like elite marathon runners are more prone to degenerative processes in their knees, would you start this before that happens? Or is there any, any indication for that or? Yeah, I, I don't think anybody would start it before you mm -hmm. start to get a problem. Okay. But certainly once you recognize that a problem is there the earlier you treat it the better chance you're going to have of getting a great outcome mm -hmm. as we stated like with hip disease once you get remodeling of the bone and you start to get some abnormalities that limit your range of motion that that's not going to change mm -hmm. um, so yeah once you once you see that you have a problem and you're starting to develop arthritis, you're way better off if you try these treatments earlier rather than later. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that'll shift from like, a, let's chop pieces out of your knee for like three decades and then get a hip or knee replacement. It'll change to, let's do this kind of thing, regrow the tissue as it as you start developing problems and kind of prevent that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just common sense. You know, what happens is, is basically the law of unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. You you find that there's a meniscus tear and it's causing a problem, so you take it out. But what you don't really think about is what happens over weeks and months and years when you've totally changed the weight-bearing characteristics of the joint. Mm -hmm. And so there's no question that traumatic injury in patients leads to arthritis often. Mm -hmm. Maybe not always, but often. And so these kind of treatments can certainly make that less likely to occur or happen a lot less quickly, let's yeah. put it that way. Okay, um, I wanted to ask too, what, what do you think the future of regenerative medicine is? Like the next 20 years, 30 years, what do you think that's gonna look like, kind of changing? the most exciting thing that's happened yeah. in medicine in my lifetime for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's going on with regenerative medicine is going to change every aspect of medicine. Every aspect. Mm -hmm. So that's why I said in the beginning of this podcast, there may be orthopedic surgeons who dismiss this right now. Well, that's fine, but they won't down the road mm -hmm. because it's going to change everything they do. And whether that's 10 years or 20 years, it's really hard to know, but I'll give you some examples. There's studies going on right now at the University of Minnesota trying to figure out if we can use stem cells to create new heart tissue in people who are having heart failure because of heart attacks. I mean, think of what that would do. That's yeah. amazing. There are studies under right now at Cal Berkeley trying to determine if we can create lungs, livers, and kidneys. Oh, wow. So you don't have to be on a donor list anymore. Yeah. And we already, scientists, researchers, have already been able to create things that kind of look like kidneys. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's not active the way a kidney should be, mm -hmm. but there'll come a time when they figure that out. And you know that's what regenerative medicine will be in the future. So we're gonna be doing a lot less cutting and a lot more using our own cells and tissues to try and heal ourselves in the future. 
I mean, it's it's really stunning where this research is going. Yeah. There's there's research right now. I think it's in San Diego, where they're studying neural disease. So I was going to ask about is like spinal cord injuries, or yeah. spinal cord injuries, yeah. Alzheimer's, uh, mm-hmm. autism. I mean, it's exciting stuff. Things mm-hmm. that we have no treatment for right now. You know, and can we regrow? Um, I've I've actually seen uh, not just case reports but video on patients who had severed peripheral nerves where they had the nerve uh, sewn back together again and then they had cells injected and they regained function. I mean, we've never seen that. Yeah. You know, so it's it's an exciting time to be in medicine and this is the most exciting thing in medicine for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, the excitement behind that is huge, right? Like, because that's, but that's such a big paradigm shift, right? Everybody, we kind of started with these huge surgeries and we've gotten more and more conservative and now it's gotten to where it's arthroscopic and now it's like, you know, minimally invasive and like just seems like this is the natural next evolution because people are, people are wising up where I would say 10 years ago in the orthopedic world, it was just like surgery, surgery, surgery when patients came in. It was like so exciting. Oh, they're going to do this and now it's arthroscopic. Now we're seeing a lot more people come into our office and they're asking like, hey, I realize my body can heal itself. What are my options besides doing surgeries? Where they're coming in and telling us that, which is super exciting. So I think it's, you're right. I mean, it's not only is it an evidence-based shift, and we know that it takes 10, 20 years for that stuff to make its way down, right? That's fine. But now we're actually seeing the cultural shift in the patients where they're seeking this stuff out. And it's just, I mean, yeah, I think it's so exciting. It'll, it'll take time, but uh, this really is the future. I mean, uh, two years ago, Scott Gottlieb, who was the head of the FDA at the time, made the comment that we are at a point in medicine where there's a total paradigm shift in how we're gonna treat people. And we can use our own cells now to regenerate new tissues and organs. And he went on to say that this is no longer the stuff of science fiction. And you think about that, I mean, you, it, it really isn't. We're doing that stuff right now. And so patients ask me sometimes, well, do we have enough research to show that this can work? Well, in musculoskeletal disease, we do, no doubt about it. If you go to somebody and they're telling you they can cure your COPD and cure your child's autism, and I'm telling you, I've seen you know advertisements about that stuff. Unfortunately, we're just not at that point. But we will be one day, I believe. Just don't know how long it's going to be. Right, right. I mean, we know the body. Field. Yeah, we know the body does a really good job of healing itself, right? And if we can only accelerate that process, assist that process. I mean, it just, for me, it just makes much more logical sense to go that route than, all right, let's cut, you know, the femur off, let's stick a titanium rod in, right. which, which in some cases well, makes a lot of sense, but it doesn't make sense a lot of times, in my opinion, for some of the degenerative stuff, right? Because that hip is never going to be your hip. It may, your quality of life may be better depending on where you were before, but it's still not your hip. There's still limitations involved. Right. So, I mean, one of the things about surgery that you got to understand is pretty much every surgery that we do in any specialty is based on anatomic considerations. You know, mm-hmm. we try and make things look like they used mm-hmm. to look. And, you know, maybe that was a great idea a long time ago, but we found out that just doesn't work a lot of the times. And, you know, you have to understand the difference between gross anatomy and cellular level changes. And what we're talking about here with regenerative medicine is making changes at a level where you can't see what's happening. You know, this is something that your body, your cells have the ability to do. And whereas with surgeries, you know, 
it makes us feel better because we create something that looks like it used to look, but quite often patients don't get better. And we sometimes say, oh, you know, they're just malingering and they're complaining, shouldn't be doing that. And you know, they're not, they're not. Something's different, but we just don't know what it is. And, uh, and anybody who's been around patients that have had knee replacements and, and see people who have chronic pain after the knee replacement, what happens when they go to the doctor? He takes some x-rays and he tells them everything looks okay. And that's it. That's all he's got left to say. And the bad thing about the regenerative medicine in knees is once you've had a knee replacement, there's nothing we can do anymore because it's gone. That joint is gone. Like you said, they just saw it off. Right. No going back from that. Right. Yeah. So, you know, this is the kind of stuff you've got to think about before that point. Yeah. And it's like just, I think too, like the multifactorial nature of pain and disability and things like that. So I've seen knee replacements come in and they like I, they'll be squatting in a week and they're just like no pain they're like wow my knee feels like a brand new knee and it's awesome I've seen many patients come in like where I used to work um, we saw a lot of post-surgical and like one lady came in for like nine months and she, she she never got full extension she had like 30 degrees of flexion after a knee replacement and she ended up having her other one done the next year and it was fine like totally normal knee again um, and it's like just the the idea that you change the anatomy doesn't necessarily change the pain you were like you were saying like there's still that muscle guarding um there's there's multiple factors that drive pain and when you do a surgery your your nervous system doesn't know what surgery is it knows hey this is another traumatic injury i know things were things were chopped out there's like a lot of nociceptive signaling coming from there right now there's a lot of swelling i'm gonna lock it down and try and guard that area and try and protect it and that's where that pain and disability comes from um, just that protective response like pain is useful because it protects us but in this case like just like your your brain might not know what surgery is and so that's kind of the issue there but when you like can heal something you're going to decrease those nociceptive signals it's going to you're going to feel like things are acting more normal and that might be an easier way out of that pain pain state out of yeah. and you can um, stay active right everything we know about surgery now the sooner these people move the better so imagine if you didn't have to go through the traumatic event mm-hmm. and you kept on moving but still got the same you know results and same improvements like we just know the more you move the better you feel that's right yeah that's right we limit people some right after treatments depending on what the malady is people that have grade four medial arthritis you know we we usually put them in an offloader brace and we limit them a little bit but and people come to us for tennis elbow you know you can't go can't get a treatment on monday and place a set on tuesday you know Mm -hmm. it's just not going to work but that said you're right we get them back certainly quickly yeah, compared to an ACL like reconstruction and going to do a stem cell regenerative injection, that's going to yeah. be different. It's a different world. Completely mm-hmm. different. It's a different world. world. Right, and so it's just exciting to think at some point we could be there on a regular basis. You know, as we will to, be there. You know, I mean, there's no question. That's where we're going. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's exciting. All, yeah, it's all really promising for what we are as physical therapists, right? Because we rely on movement, we rely on exercise, and that's just that's movement early that's just more of like the education and empowerment stuff that we've been spilling for you know three years here is just like come on let's get moving like you don't need to go into most people do not need to go into the surgical world let's just keep moving with the body heal itself like this just it feeds into it a lot of the the mechanisms probably for why physical therapy stuff type works like if you if you load something you're getting that like those cytokines in there, all those inflammatory molecules, and it's creating, like those stem cells come in and start replacing things. Um, and it just seems like what you're doing is kind of a faster way of doing that, which is what medicine should be, right? Like this, that's what we want is like, I want to take a pill that makes me 100% 
awesome, right? Like that would be the the end goal is like take this is a the pill, closest thing we got right yeah, now. My body so is, awesome pill. <laughs> yeah, take a pill, turn into a Greek god, right? So um, it's it's just kind of a cool thing that like this is an, basically an accelerated accelerated way of doing that without having to spend like twelve to sixteen weeks necessarily. And like there's probably always a place for like loading and exercise and that kind of thing. Um, especially when you're trying to differentiate these things, like get the stem cells to become like creating that environment, like what you were talking about, but right. it's just kind of a cool, like put that in there and make it work a lot better yeah. kind of thing. So, I mean, the applications are, are just limitless, mm-hmm. you know, like elderly women who have compression fractures, mm-hmm. you know, they're miserable. I mean, yeah. that's a life changing event. And this, this may be part of that treatment, um, algorithm in the, in the near future. Yeah. I mean, that's, when we're talking about, and I have to go this route a little bit, of pairing physical therapy with regenerative medicine, right? Like a big part of what we do is talking about creating an ideal environment so the body can heal itself, right? So let's say you get a stem cell injection, you go back to kind of regular activity, like creating some load, improving range of motion, right? Even neurological stuff we talked about and treating pain because pain is multifactorial. Like that stuff's only gonna help, I would think some of the response that you get from general medicine, right? So, yeah. of course, not overdoing it too fast, right? But like a progressive loading paired with regenerative medicine could only be more beneficial. Yeah, I mean, you and I have had this conversation before, you know, I'm 100% behind physical therapy. I believe it works. I believe it's one of the best uh, options for patients that have arthritis. Right, thanks. And every single patient <laughs> that we yeah. do a treatment on, we try and set them up with therapy, every single mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So it's... Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the uh, options available, and, and when it comes to stem cell, we think it's a big part of all this, and we tell patients that from the beginning. Mm. Yeah, cool. No, super cool stuff. Yeah, excited yeah, about it. Yeah, very so. exciting. Um, if people wanted to find out more about you, like where can they go, website, like blogs, whatever right. else, if you don't mind. Sure. Our website is scregenerative.com. SC like South Carolina or SC like South Coast. And that's the name of our group, South Coast Regenerative Medicine. So we're, you know, we think we're the best around. Uh, We have all board certified physicians. All of us have been doing image guided treatments for forever. We do autologous treatments and I'm not aware of anybody else in the city who does that. But if there is, forgive me. And, uh, and those are the treatments that if you go to Cleveland Clinic, Mayo, um, to NYU, that's what you're going to get. You know, that's what they're doing at the major institutions around the country. And Mayo in Jacksonville is doing this on a regular basis. And we do the exact same procedures for arthritis. And we have seminars on a regular basis. So I can't tell you when the next one is because I don't know. But basically, we just uh, get... 10 to 20 people together and we kind of go over what we think are the high points of where we've come and where we are now and what we can use regenerative medicine for and and that's uh, just an informational session. So our website has a blog that has a lot of information about different things so uh, take you a while to kind of sort through all that. It's good Yeah, yeah definitely go go visit that if you're listening to this definitely go check that out. What's up, everybody? Eve here. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Charleston Podcast. If you did, we would love for you to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. And please leave us any comments. We're always looking to improve or recommend a guest. Yes, we take recommendations. Also, if you want to learn a little bit more about us and our health and human performance clinic, 
where we do physical therapy and performance training, please go check out madetomovept.com. Again, that's made, the number two, movept.com. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.